Good morning, everyone. How you doing? You all right? Good. Good to be with you. I hope you slept well. Uh, I didn't sleep that well. Uh, when you've got 180 people on your campsite, you don't always sleep the best. Uh, yesterday, we looked at the story of Ruth. And um, there we go. And uh, today, we're going to carry on looking at our story. We're going to look at part two. And you might not remember, yesterday, the way the story ended was we had Ruth and Naomi. And um, they went back to Bethlehem. Naomi's husband's died, Ruth's husband's died, Orpah, who was the other daughter-in-law, has left them, and they've gone back to Bethlehem. And so we're going to pick up our story there. But before we do that, I want to teach you another phrase that uh, I use quite often, or is used amongst my youth group quite often. Now, you know when you have a young person, uh, or you have one of your friends, and they might turn up to you for that, you might meet them, and they've got a, a fresh pair of trainers on you. Yeah? Maybe they've just got a brand new pair of Harachis or something like that. You... We would use a phrase like, let's say his name's Tom. Oh, man like Tom with a fresh trainers. Anyone use the phrase man like? Yeah, probably a lot of the people that are from, from London. So let's say they've come with a fresh haircut or a really fresh trim. You might say, hey, man like Tom with a fresh trim. What are you saying? So I want you to turn to the person next to you. Even if they're a girl, you're going to find out their name and you're going to tell them man like after their name. Away you go. Okay. So the phrase, the phrase man-like is most definitely a compliment. Man-like is a compliment. And the reason I'm telling you that is because today in our story, the person that we're going to look at is a new character called Boaz. Everyone say Boaz. Now, I call him man-like Boaz because he's a, he's a quality guy. So everyone say man-like Boaz. He's going to be known as man like Boaz in our story because he's just always on point and he's always doing the things that we think a, a quality sick guy would do. So we're going to look at him a little bit today. So before we do that, we're going to have a listen to our story again and then we're going to see what can God teach us from this part of the story. So the words should appear on the screen like they did yesterday and you should be able to listen. And if you've got a Bible, you can follow that as well. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favour. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of the harvesters, whose young woman is that? The overseer replied, she is a Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaths behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning until now except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Do not go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting, and follow along with after the women. I told the men not to lay a hand on you, and whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, Why have I found such favour in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Okay. 
So Ruth and Naomi, they've gone back to Bethlehem in our story. We've just read it. And Ruth says to Naomi, I want to go gleaning. Hands up if you know what gleaning is. Quite impressed by that, quite a few of you. Those that don't know, gleaning was something that they did uh, in farms. So if you were a farmer, if you were quite poor um, or you didn't have a lot of money, you could follow a farmer as he's farming, collecting harvest and barley. And what you could do is you could, all the stuff that he's not really picking up, you could pick up his leftovers and put it in your bag. Yeah, you put it in your bag and then you'd go home with a load of food. It weren't thieving, they were allowed to do it, they were given permission. Now when I was younger, I was quite a good gleaner. I, um, my nan used to take us all to Butlins. Me and all my cousins we used to go to Butlins every year. Anyone been to Butlins? Make some noise. Yeah, we all love Butlins. Now, my nan took me and my cousin to Butlins, and there was one particular time, me and my cousin, his name's Ricky, we were down the arcade. And uh, when we were in there, we, we spotted this fellow who was, who'd obviously had a little bit too much alcohol to drink. He was a little bit drunk. And he had one of these, you know, you get them super-sized cups. He had one of these huge cups, and it was full of change. 10p's, 50p's, pounds, 10p's. And, and he's walking along, and because he's had a little bit too much to drink, he's sort of stumbling a little bit between these machines, and loads of money's falling out of his cup. And so I looked at my cousin, and I thought, wow, you know, we should pick up the money and give it back to him. Um, but we didn't do that. What we did is we followed him behind, and we picked up the money, and we went and spent it in the arcade. And it was a good way to glean. We saw that he was dropping things, so we picked it up, and um, we managed to win a lot of prizes in the arcade. That's sort of what gleaning is like. Now, I don't condone that type of gleaning. I wasn't a Christian then. I, was, I, was very, I think I was alone like 11. So when I made six pounds, I thought I was really rich. Um, but that's the sort of thing that gleaning is. Now, the fields in Bethlehem, there was hundreds And of all the fields that Ruth finds herself in, she finds herself in the roof that belongs to a man called Boaz. A man like Boaz, who we get told is a man of good standing. He's a good bloke. You want to be around someone like Boaz. And so we start to think, oh, maybe God does have a plan. And then, just as she's finishing gleaning, just as she's about to go, who arrives? You guessed it. Boaz. Boaz arrives on the scene. So we see again, okay, What's going on? And Boaz makes me laugh because he asks, he reminds me of some of the boys in, uh, that I've seen around here during this week because he asks his workers a question that I'm sure I've seen many of you ask. Um, and I see you look across the field and you say, who's that girl? Yeah, I've heard that question this time a few weeks. You're looking across and you say to your friends, oh, who's that girl? Do you know that? And um, I found a, quite a funny meme that fits this very well. Apparently this is what Boaz was like. It should come up as I speak this slide behind me. Okay. <laughs> That moment when you see a hot girl across the field, that's what Boaz was thinking. He's coming, he's thinking, rah, who's, who's that girl? So he calls his workers and says, listen, who's that, who's that nice young lady over there? And he's, his workers, they make me laugh, right? Because they reply, oh, she's a Moabite woman. But they didn't, you know, there's a few ways to say that. You could say, oh, yeah, she's a Moabite woman. But she said it with um, a little bit, they would have said it like a little bit attitude, like some of you might say, oh, she's a Moabite woman. That's how it would have been said, yeah? It was a way of sort of, it's almost like a racist remark. Because basically, if you don't know this, men from Bethlehem were not supposed to mix with women from Moab. They were from different places. And Moab, I said to you yesterday, was considered dirty and unclean. They were not supposed to mix. And so his workers are like, she's a Moabite. That's basically saying, no, we don't want to go near her. She shouldn't even really be, you shouldn't be allowing her to work here. And so we understand that his workers are really confused when Boaz starts being nice to her. Maybe it's just because he fancies her. Who knows? It probably was. But uh, you'll see that there's more to it than that. 
But he starts being really nice to this young lady. He starts offering her food and he starts being very charming with her and he starts speaking with her. And his workers are really confused. They're thinking, what is going on? She's from Moab. We don't do that. Even if a girl was, you know, the most uh, good-looking girl you've ever seen, even if she was a painting, as my young people would tell me, yeah? You didn't go near her. She's from Moab. That's just a no-go. You don't do that. You don't go near a woman that's from Moab. And so Boaz, he's putting himself on the line. He's sort of risking a lot of things by even chatting to this young lady. And there's a passage that, um, that, that we'll see that Boaz says to her. And he says three things to Ruth. And I'm going to read that to you. And it's the last slide on my PowerPoint. It should come up. It says, he says this. Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter... Listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where men are harvesting and follow along after the girls. I've told the men not to touch you. And wherever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. So that's what Boaz says to Ruth. It's not quite like the chat-up lines I've heard my boys using on young ladies today, but it's effective because he says three things that actually are very, very important, and I want you to grasp these three things. The first thing that Boaz says is this, basically. You can work here. In other, in other words, he's saying this. I'm going to give you food. I'm going to give you money. You can work here. I'll look after you. I'm going to bring you in. You can be a part of my team. Boaz says that first. The second thing is this. I've told the men not to harm you. I'm going to give you protection. You know, for women in those times, it was very dangerous for them to be out alone farming. Quite often they would be robbed or beaten up or, or abused in other ways. And so it was very dangerous for women to be there. And he said, listen, I've told all the men they're not to go near you. I will protect you. I'm going to look after you. That's the second thing that he tells you. And the third thing is probably the most important thing. He says, listen, you can drink and go and get water whenever you like. Now, if you read the Bible, you will see so many times that water is used to represent life. Water represents life. Often, in Simon's message a couple of nights ago, Jesus talks about, come to me, you'll never go thirsty again. It's that like, I am the living water. And so we see that often. And so essentially, Boaz is saying this, I'm going to give you life. I'll protect you. Yeah, I'll give you food. I'll look after you. And I'll, I'm going to give you life. I'm going to rescue you. Now, you, you might not have seen it yet, but who's ever seen the film Narnia? Yeah, you've seen the film, lots of us, good. Okay. Sometimes in films, characters are used, aren't they, to represent other characters. So I think we've got a, a photo of our man Aslan. Yeah, this is Aslan the lion in the film of Narnia. And you will know if you've seen that film that Narnia... They use Aslan to represent another character. He does, he's not just Aslan. He represents Jesus in the same way that uh, Aslan sacrifices himself so that Edmund is free from the curse of the witch. If you haven't seen it, go back and read the book. I'm an English teacher, so I'll tell you to read the book. Don't watch the film. Um, go back and read the book and then watch the film afterwards as a treat. Um, you'll see that Aslan, he represents Jesus because then he goes and he's on the tomb and he's dead but he, the tomb cracks and he rises again in the same way that the tomb is rolled away and Jesus rises again. And then he goes and he defeats the enemy and he defeats the wicked witch and Narnia are rescued. The same way that Jesus rises again in victory and defeats the power of Satan and sin and we are in victory. Now, there's a similar thing in this story here. Boaz, he actually represents Jesus. In this story, 
And we'll see how now, look, in this story, the way that Boaz provides for Ruth is the way that Jesus actually provides for us. In the same way that Boaz says, I will protect you, I will keep you from harm, it's the same way that Jesus says the same thing to us, I will protect you. And in the same way, most importantly, that he says, you can drink, I will give you water, I will give you life. Jesus says to us, come to me and drink, I will give you life, I will rescue you. All of those three things together is what actually Jesus does for each and every one of us. He rescues and he redeems. And Ruth, she is overwhelmed. She cannot believe what's going on. The Lord of the harvest, the man who owns all of the fields, is coming to her and he's telling her these things. And in the Bible, literally, she falls down to the ground. She literally falls on to her knees and is, she cannot believe what's going on. She says, why me? She's confused. What have I done to deserve this? How can this happen to me? I'm, I'm a girl from Moab. I'm a dirty foreigner from Moab. And you're giving this to me? Why? What is going on? Ruth understands that nothing that is happening to her is earned in any way. Nothing that happening to her is earned in any way. She doesn't deserve any of it. It is simply a gift of grace. It is the kindness of Boaz to her. It is all grace and it's all mercy. And it's the same with the grace and the love of God that he freely showers on us. There is nothing that we can do to earn it. In fact, we don't deserve it. The Bible is clear about that. And the problem with us is, is what we often think, and I thought this for many years as a young person. Sometimes I, I still think about it now, and sometimes I have to remind myself of this story. We often think, if I'm a really good worker, if I'm from the right place, if I live the right way, if I'm, of the sort of, if I'm the right sort of person, then God will love me and show me his grace and mercy. That's how some of us like to think. If we do the right things, if we say the right things, if we act the right way. And this story is so clear, and the Bible is so clear, that there is nothing that Ruth can do to make her worthy of receiving what she's going to receive from Boaz. And there is nothing that we can do that makes us worthy to receive what God so freely gives to us. We ourselves are people who are in need of God and we cannot pay him back and we have not earned it and all we can do is this, is thank him for his grace. All we can do is say, God, I, I really don't deserve this. I know I don't deserve it. I, I don't even know why you're choosing to do this to me, but I thank you for it. You're amazing. And you know what? I'm going to try and live my life to please you. All I can do is say, God, I thank you. And with a grateful heart, I'm going to come and I'm going to dedicate my life to live for you. I'm going to do all that I can to honour and please you. That has to be our response. And that is what we'll see Ruth's response ends up being. We're going to carry on with our story and we'll see what else begins to happen. So let's have the next part of chapter two. Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with people you do not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to favour in your eyes, my lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant. 
May I continue to find favour in your eyes, my lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Even if she gathers among the sheaves, do not embarrass her. Rather, pull some stalks up for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and do not rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she gathered and amounted it about an epper. She carried it back to the town and her mother-in-law saw how much she gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. Okay. The last bit, he has not stopped showing kindness to us and he is one of our kinsmen redeemers. Boaz, man like Boaz doesn't stop there. So he tells you those three things and then he says, listen, come and have dinner with us. Come and eat. I'm going to give you food. Now, in that time, it's not as bad as it is now in terms of food, but people, uh, if you were allowed to go and eat with someone there, it was a real sign that you were accepted by those people. It was like, listen, if you're eating with us, then you're one of us and you're accepted by us. And so Boaz basically, hands up if you like Nando's. So make some noise if you like Nando's. Listen. If you know me, you know I love Nando's, yeah? Nando's is, is my thing. I love the place. And uh, I, I always find it easier to think about food. When I think of food, I think of Nando's, yeah? Now, if you want to please me or if you want to, you know, help me out, you can come and give me a Nando's card or something like that. I'll be more than willing to receive it if you've got a half chicken or a full chicken on there. Now, Boaz essentially is saying this. I'm going to take you to Nando's. Yeah, come to now. I'm going to get you a whole chicken. You'll get halloumi cheese. We'll get you two side dishes. I'll get you the full drink. You sit there. I'll order it and I'll bring it back up for you. And you know what? When you finish that meal, it isn't going to stop there. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go back down to the counter. I'm going to get another whole chicken, put it in one of them doggy bags. You know them little takeaway bags you get at Nando's? Everyone knows about them. I'm going to get you that little takeaway bag and you can take two whole chickens, take them back to Naomi, your mother-in-law, because I want you to have a good evening meal as well. And so Naomi, uh, Ruth is there thinking, what on earth is going on. First this man who's like really important is saying all these nice things to me. Now he's taking me and giving me all this food and he's giving me food to take back home to my mum. And so she goes back home and Ruth and Naomi's there thinking, she's just fully gassed. She's thinking, what is going on? What on earth is going on? Gas just means she was just excited. She was carried away. She didn't know what was going on. And she just thought, wow, you've got loads of food and you've got a big smile on your face. What has happened to you today? Where have you been gleaning? And, and Ruth is so excited, she's like, oh, it, it was Boaz. Boaz gave me all of this stuff. And Naomi is like, Lord, bless that man. He, he's one of our redeemers, she says. Now, a redeemer, it's a bit of a strange phrase, but basically, if you were a woman whose husband died, if there was a relative in your family, someone who was connected to your family, what they could do is they could marry you. 
They could, you could marry them again. And what that would do is it would help you have more land. It would restore your money and your status. You wouldn't be as in danger as you were before. And so they're saying all of a sudden, there's someone who can almost restore us to be where we were before people started dying. And so we have a, just an incredible example. Yesterday, our message was God has a plan. And we start to see that here right now. Boaz and Ruth, all of a sudden are working on the same field. They get to know each other. You know, God works out the times and the places and how things happen. It isn't luck. It isn't a coincidence. It isn't chance. It's God's plan working behind the scenes. And so at the start of chapter 2, at the end of yesterday, we've got two widows, no husbands. They've got no food. They have no money. They have no hope. And today, at the end of our chapter, we have Ruth. And Naomi, who've got a, they've got food. They have money. They have someone who's potentially going to redeem them. And they have loads and loads of hope. God provides. And some of you will be here this week feeling like Ruth and Naomi at the start of chapter 2. That's how you'll be feeling. Or that's how you have been feeling. And by the end of this week... I think God's going to move amongst us and you're going to be feeling more like they were at the end of chapter 2. You're going to realise you do have hope. There is a hope for you. There is something that you can cling on to. There is a God who loves you and knows you and you can have hope. You have a redeemer. Ruth had Boaz. We have Jesus who is an even greater Boaz than we can ever imagine. And you know what our response has to be? Every single one of us, which is my response daily, the same as Ruth. God, why me? I'm just a, I don't deserve this. I'm just a foreigner. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you that you would do this for me because I know I don't deserve it. And I know the way that I think. I know the things that I do. I know the things that I've done. I don't deserve it. But thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. We have to be the same as Ruth. I'm going to end by saying this. Before I just ask the, the bands to come up. In this story, okay, we're already seeing God's plan and provision. He's like an invisible hand moving behind the scenes, working out the, the times and the places. And he is at work every single step of the way. And we we see it even more in the next two days. You'll see it. And the same is true for us. God is working every single day in normal places, at normal times, amongst normal, regular people. God is working amongst us. Even when we can't see it and even when we don't understand it, God is providing for us in so many different ways. He provided for us ultimately with his son Jesus. He's already provided for us when he sent his son to die on the cross and rose again in victory. And so when he done that, He redeemed and rescued us. He made a way for us and it's undeserved, it's unearned. But it's grace for every single one of us this morning. And so as we sing, we're going to sing a song that looks at this idea, that that focuses on that. And, And as we sing, I want you just to bring yourself before God with a thankful heart. Thankful that it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter if you feel like a roofer, a Moabite who's dirty and unclean. That doesn't matter. Because God says, no, 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 it's not about what you've done. It's about what I've done and what I'm going to do for you. And I love you and I know you. And and my grace and my mercy is for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you just for your grace and mercy that is given to us so freely. 
We thank you that you look at us and you say, I know you don't deserve it. I know you haven't earned it. But I'm going to love you and give you my grace because that's who I am. Because I sent my son Jesus to die for you. Because when he rose in victory, actually, he defeated all of that stuff. It's done, it's finished, it's gone away with. And so we pray. I pray for each of us that we'll be like Ruth. We understand that we don't deserve it, but we receive that love and grace, none the same. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we stand together? can try and stay quiet and just stay in the place of worship you alone can 